0: Welcome to If It Ain't Baroque podcast, your friendly history special. We are your hosts, Gemma. Hi. And Natalie. Welcome, or as they would say in early modern English, right trusty and well-beloved, we greet you well. On this episode, we'll be discussing the gunpowder plot, or as it was called in its time, powder treason. So this section is
1: called the OG event. Remember, remember the 5th of November, the gunpowder treason and plot. I know of no reason why the gunpowder treason should ever be forgot. The plot occurred under James I and Six, but to understand the plot, we must go back to the reign of Henry VIII. Henry, defender of the Catholic faith, decided to break with Rome, become a good old dictator, and marry a little woman you all know as Anne Boleyn. Dictator, is that spelled with a C and a K? <laughs> That's what she said. did <laughs> After his death in 1547, his son Edward VI would then go on to establish a Protestant England. Henry's eldest daughter would then take the crown in 1553 and bring the country back to Catholicism until her death and the accession of her sister Elizabeth I. Elizabeth, bless her heart, thought, right, this is getting ridiculous and my subjects have religious whiplash. There's literally caused so many to die unnecessary. So she tried tolerance and a middle ground. That was an optimistic thinking on her part. Both sides had been through enough and agreeing to disagree or tolerance was just impossible. Both Catholic and, I'm going to say Protestant, but it wasn't actually Protestants, but we'll go with Protestants because it's just too confusing. The extremists were not fans of our good best and there was plenty of plots throughout her reign. However, it was a pesky pope that excommunicated her, and then the real problems began for Catholics. You may assume that an excommunication from a religion you don't follow is nothing. Why would you care? But it gave free reign to all English and foreign Catholics to literally murder Elizabeth without any consequences in this life or the next. I do love that about Catholics. It's okay. You, You can do it. Just, you know, just go to confession and just wipe away, just wipe away. It's, uh,
0: yeah, it's that's almost fine. as if it's it's a voucher that you can buy uh, or very, something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and it's just, yeah, it's just uh, buy this voucher and this is going to be cleaned. Your car is going to be cleaned <laughs> you if you buy this it. voucher, except not a car, it's a soul or what have you. Yeah.
1: yeah. Now, most Catholics had no intention of doing this. But now and then, there was a Catholic who was a potential traitor, terrorist or anti-Englishman. And there was no way of knowing who was loyal and who was not. They don't come with a I am a traitor t-shirt. The most famous plot against Elizabeth at this time was the Babington plot that led to the Catholic martyrdom of Mary, Queen of Scots. Again, another big mistake. Elizabeth is obviously paranoid at this point and hits back at the Catholic community big time. Over 200 Catholics are executed. Many more perish in prison, and illegal torture was used in her reign more than any other reign in British history.
0: So Bloody Mary, not so much Lady Gaga. Please rewrite the song. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because you know something else for Wednesday Adams to 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 dance to. But yeah. yeah, this is this is one of the most fascinating paradoxes. I love finding these paradoxes in the, the things that we do. It's just yeah if he hadn't been okay so elizabeth you know must die must 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 be removed it was a status quo but then because the popey decided to disturb the status quo it actually achieved the exact opposite effect so for oh, him yeah. literally the road to hell is paved with good intentions he wanted to have good intentions for catholics and then kaboom yeah no, the, no more tolerance
1: the whole uh, butterfly effect. You you yep. do something with good intentions, it leads to bad consequences. Yeah, so he should have just let her left her alone. It's
0: kind of what they decided by the
1: end of her reign.
0: You do you,
1: <laughs> yeah. So Catholics who did survive, they faced a ban on mass, sacred images, marriage, baptism and Catholic schooling. Heavy fines were imposed, loss of employment and freedom of movement around England and a complete ban on foreign travel. Lord Burley even proposed that children should be removed from Catholic parents. Swell guy. That's very swella Braverman. Right. <laughs> I'm going to end this section with another part of the Milton poem to show the anti-Catholic feeling. A rope, a rope, to hang the Pope, a penny worth of cheese to choke him, a pint of beer to wash it down, and a jolly good fire to burn him. So then James I and VI inherits the throne, and the Catholic community assume this will be their salvation, with a Catholic supporter on the throne. James was not a Catholic, but he was the son of a Catholic martyr, Mary Queen Scots, and his wife, Queen Anne, had gave up her Lutheran faith for Catholicism. And so we come to the plot. In 1604, Robert Catsby, Guy Fawkes, Tom Wintour, Jack Wright and Thomas Percy would all meet at the Duck and Drake Inn and start the beginning of the plot. Like all good plots, they start in the pub.
0: It's like all good, um, what's it called, <laughs> the big corporations start in a garage. You know, Apple, yeah. Mattel, Amazon, <laughs> yeah. you know, they all start in the garage. So all good plots start in a pub. So what are you doing this Saturday? I don't know, I'm thinking of, you know, starting something to, you know, kill, you know, the king. What are you doing? Yeah, I was thinking about, you know, retiring my bathroom, but this sounds fun. (laughs) When you say you're going to the pub at the weekend now, it has a new meaning. You know, I'm going to meet this guy. And it's on (laughs) 5th, quoting Christina
1: Applegate (laughs) from Friends, you know. This guy. And it's on 5th.
0: Legend. Legend. They would
1: involve other conspirators bringing their number to officially... Thirteen. However, there may have been others who helped or were passively aware of the plot. Lucky number 13, or unlucky actually in this case. Yeah, so for some
0: people it is lucky, for some people it isn't, but I don't think there's a specific attachment just from the get-go. I think you make it unlucky through action, which in their case definitely was. (laughs) Yeah. Because when you involve more and more people in your secret gathering and something that no one is supposed to know, then it's kind of, is it is it an open secret at this point?
1: The aim was to blow up parliament on the 5th of November when all the important aristocrats in the land were present along with the king and possibly his wife and heir, Prince Henry. At the same time, they would kidnap the king's nine-year-old daughter, Princess Elizabeth, and proclaim her queen. Of course, James had a younger son, but a nine-year-old girl was a better option for a puppet queen. Looking at you, Grey. Unfortunately for the plotters, someone sent a letter to a Catholic lord warning him to stay away from Parliament. Why was this sent, and by whom? Well, there's no concrete evidence, but some suggest it was out of Catholic guilt. The author wanted to save a fellow Catholic, possibly due to a family connection. The Lord happened to be the brother-in-law of one of the conspirators. What is known is that the letter led to the search and Guy Fox was found with the gunpowder, arrested and under torture. He named his fellow conspirators Dun Dun Dun. I'm not gonna lie, if I was under torture, I would be telling all the names, everything. I, would, like, I, I will tell you names that are not even names. I will tell you whatever you want. I think I may last a
0: little bit, but not an Ask You
1: style or I, Margaret Clitheroe. They, they could probably just take me into custody and I'll be like, I'll tell you everything, absolutely everything. <laughs> you know, you'll still get
0: executed, right?
1: <laughs> I don't care. If I'm going down, they're all coming down with <laughs> me.
0: Good. If I'm going down, I'm taking everybody with me.
1: (laughs) So the next segment is called The Aftermath, The Contemporary Meaning. The irony of Gunpowder Plot is that for many of the conspirators, this was not their first attempt at regicide. In 1601, a few of them, Catesby included, were complicit in the Essex rebellion against Elizabeth I, but survived with a fine when others, including Essex himself, faced the executioner. Catesby had also plotted with Catholic king Philip of Spain to invade and in defence of fellow Catholics. However, Philip chose peace with James over Catholic sympathy. I'm back to hating Philip again. Remember we were talking the other day and I was like, I like Philip. No, I hate him again. Because we, we
0: were talking about his, uh, you know, other non-English history, so to speak.
1: That's true. Monarchs throughout history are only religious as far as it suits them, It's just so true. So had these men saw the full extent of the law the first time round, then perhaps the plot would never have come into fruition. The immediate aftermath saw the Gunpowder Gang demise. Guy Fox and many others would face the horror of a traitor's death, hung, drawn, and quartered, although Fox himself was fortunate enough to have been so weak from the torture that it led to him dying quickly on the noose before the executioner could chop him up. He literally jumped. was
0: <laughs> <laughs> just OK, bye. And then he let it No more hanging, drawing, no more drawing, quartering, because what's the point? He's already dead. Bye. Yeah.
1: Catesby and several others fled. Warwick Castle was stormed for supplies and a last stand, like any old Western movie. Another irony at one point, the fugitives tried to dry out some gunpowder by a fire. Who would do that? Who would put gunpowder by a fire? What were they thinking? They weren't thinking. They never thought. A rogue spark from the fire lit the powder and caused injury to all. I think it's the same people who think that
0: because UK is five hours ahead of US, then we can tell them the future. It's the same people.
1: It's the same people. Yeah. yeah, I'm a big fan of the. Way yes, Cass, I love. I love how he died. I'm so sorry, it's, but I love it's his just death. epic. Oh yeah, <laughs> guys. Also,
0: please read this in Chris Wood's book.
1: Yeah. Yes. The
0: Famous last words, because he describes this very well.
1: A complete dramatic Catholic death. To be fair, it's kind of bizarre that he isn't always the star of the show, like Guy Fawkes. Possibly with the recent TV shows, his name has been rehabilitated. But for centuries, the leader and main man was assumed to be. Fox himself. Kate Spade, after his involvement in the Essex rebellion, missing the executioner, the failed plots with Spain, fleeing from the gunpowder failure, his injuries with the gunpowder, and then finally on the 8th of November, he dramatically met his end. No torture or public execution would be good enough for this man. He kissed his cross. And face judgment and a shootout. One of his last words were, stand by me, Tom, and we will die together. And then they did. <laughs> Aww. It literally is Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. I know. The Butch Cassidy
0: and the Catholic Kid. Yeah.
1: Oh my God, I love it. Butch Catesby and He's the Catholic, Butch Catholic Kid. <laughs> literally. And <laughs> it gets better. One shot would kill both Catesby and Tom Percy. but he did not die straight away. No, no, no. <laughs> Rolled inside and was found holding a picture of the Virgin Mary, like any old good Catholic. And of course, their plots and death would not bring about an easy life for Catholics. It's a weird one because, in hindsight, you can say, "Well, they were very naive to assume it would." I mean, how ridiculous is a plan? I mean, it's never going to work when you think about it. No. Nobody likes terrorists. <laughs>
0: Let's blow up a big part of the city. And yeah, did, did we think this through? <laughs> no. no, but we need to do it. Do you feel like we need to do it? Yeah, I feel like we need to do it because we're already doing it. But what are we going to do, you know, on the sixth? You know, fifth, fine. Six, my calendar is empty. What do you feel like doing? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Do you think you could get away with that? No, I don't think you could. I think they would have been caught super quick now. I don't think you could get away with it now. No. With all the data, the, all yeah, that not even the strongest
0: VPN would help them. <laughs> this is the moment I'm really regretting not having a VPN provider as a sponsor. It's kind of a very um, dead-end plan, no pun intended, because it's sort of like a cul-de-sac. Okay, so will you blow up Houses of Parliament the previous ones thankfully not the new pretty ones that we have yeah. I think the Thames probably would be not wider but it would probably spill into something let's think about that as well for a second mm. it's a great giant crater in the middle of the city and what what would they have done this is this is my first thought right so if after Bosworth Henry VII had to continue the myth and invent the myth and then continue the myth yep. oh uh, I had to do this because there was a baddie on the throne obviously this is the this is the list of things that he's done yeah obviously i'm better and we've talked mm. about how when george v took over from his eldest brother who did nothing wrong And this is at the time when it almost doesn't matter who is at the helm. Still, the rumours perpetuated. So even at that kind of, when almost nothing is at stake, it was still in place, this cardinal rule of Victor's rewrite history. So imagine the amount of propaganda they'd need to come up with and circulate in order to justify what they've done.
1: I think they were kind of maybe, they assumed there was more Catholic sympathy.
0: Exactly, exactly.
1: And there wasn't, because Popey said, you do you <laughs> thank
0: you. to the whoever was on the throne said, so, you do you. So Yeah, I think
1: it's, it's bad timing because I think if it was get it started in Mary's reign, yeah. You would have had back in you know, most of the country because they weren't really that happy with it. But you had I mean you had John Knox by then in Scotland, you had so much Newer generations who had been brought up with the Lutheran faith and Covenanters and stuff. So, yeah, just the wrong generation. Yeah, it's too far down the line. And I thought, okay, if we don't do something now, then
0: it's going to get really bad. But then it was already actually subsiding. Yeah. So it's kind of thanks, but no thanks. And then (laughs) help never came. And yes, that's why you have the Butch Catesby and the Catholic kid.
1: After the field, King James decided to... Fine Catholics, if they didn't receive the sacrament yearly by the Church of England, it was high treason to follow Rome over the crown. They could not be doctors, lawyers, were stripped of many legal rights, forced to swear an oath of allegiance and could have their home searched at any time. Of course, James would allow some exceptions when it was in his best interest or if he happened to like a certain guy at court that had Catholic leanings. Small case G. Yeah, that kind of guy. (laughs) Capital G. (laughs) Yep. Anti-Catholic rhetoric and propaganda was widely spread thanks to the chiller invention of the printing press. Catholics yeah. were demonised and compared to the very real threat of witches. Okay, witches are not a real threat, but it was a psychological threat, at least at this time period. The witchy term we use today was an actual Catholic slur, although it's got <laughs> a cute <laughs> ring to it, hocus pocus. It's a mashup of the Latin words, said a Catholic ritual. The belief in transubstantiation, the idea that wine and bread consumed at mass turns into the literal body and blood of Christ. It was twisted into a trick of the devil, a sign of heretic ways of Catholicism. The most important factor that kept the Catholic cause alive, and indeed is the most overlooked part of the plots, was Catholic women. Now we all know women had little legal rights, were property of their male relatives, and had little agency compared to men. Obviously you can find some exceptions in rich widows... And you might say, that's all horrendous, and yeah, it clearly was. But it also brought Catholic women some great benefits. The women would be the predominant ones who would keep priests and fleeing Catholics hidden. They would educate the children in the Catholic faith. And they would smuggle messages to each other with little suspicion. I mean, who would suspect a poor woman? So simple, we don't know how to do anything bad. It's like that SNL parody of Mad
0: Men. I said, Peggy, what time is it? Oh, I'm a woman. I'm not even allowed to own a watch. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and again, it's the another paradox of history and of life in general. It's just because they appear to be weak, humble and meek, and because mm. they don't have power, they have power by appearing so. More. Yeah. Yeah, Which is absolutely genius and I love it. It's literally the chef's kiss of paradoxes.
1: Yeah. Feminism cannot be up with.
0: At least we can vote and drive. Well, I can vote, you can drive. (laughs) 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 So the next segment is called the After Aftermath. Today's meaning and lessons from history.
1: The Gunpowder Plot is still to this day celebrated countrywide in Britain, a tradition that saw bonfires and fireworks lit to celebrate the survival of the monarchy. An introduction of the Papist Act in 1778 was to lessen the hardships faced by the Catholics. They would enjoy some rites, but only a section of them, not all. They could join the armed forces, which they had been barred for, but mass and any kind of Catholic worship was still illegal. So cute. You can die for your country, but you can't, um, you know, die in your face. This wasn't very popular, as you can imagine. What would be known as the Gordon Riots due to Lord Gordon spouting anti-papist rhetoric. It happened on the 2nd of June 1780, lasting to the 9th. Because all this is happening, right, during the French Revolution and the War of Independence in America. So that's why they needed the Catholics to join the armed forces, because they were running out of Protestants in the army. I love it. Was well, kind of like when they say, "Okay, open the
0: open the jails, yeah, the, exactly. the prisoners because we need bodies, <laughs> to, need you know, to bodies.
1: die." <laughs> yeah, but they actually did care. They didn't want Catholics in the armed forces. So, an interesting occurrence happened regarding mob mentality during the riots. In most riots and wars, it's never really black and white. It's always kind of a gray. King William or King uh-huh. Billy as he's known here, wasn't so anti-Catholic that he wouldn't fight alongside the papacy, which he did. He was a fan of the Pope. They fought together at the same kind of war. During the Crusades, the Christian crusaders actually employed Muslim mercenaries. So, you know, they got over that. And so there was an eyewitness at the Gordon riots saying that some in the crowd were maybe a little bit ignorant or confused as to who they were actually fighting. When told that they should attack a house because there was Catholics inside, a reply of, what are Catholics to us? We're against the popery." What are men to
0: rocks and mountains?
1: This blindness to the bias they had, without full knowledge of why or even what it was they disliked, would even lead to the death of a canary, who the crowd had dubbed a popish bird. <laughs> Is that why we have Canary Wharf? <laughs> Maybe I can't really speak for the bird, but I doubt he had religious leanings. <laughs> Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. It's kind of like the the annals accused of witchcraft. You know, it's like a weird consequence of mob mentality and ignorance. Daniel Defoe would write that they would fight to the death against popery, but they had no idea if it was a man or a horse. (laughs) It's funny because it's very sad. And it's sad because it's funny. Sectarianism felt in Elizabethan and Jacobean England. It was also felt in Ireland and Scotland. The division in the church and onslaught of anti-Catholic laws and propaganda would be felt by every generation that followed. It's a prejudice that has never been resolved. And even in today's more atheist climate, it's still very prevalent. In the 1990s, my father could not receive employment in local areas due to his Catholic name and education. You get asked, "Oh, what school did you go to?" Because you know straight away if somebody's Catholic or Protestant, whether to go to, so they knew whether to entertain you or not, even in the 90s in Scotland. Catholic emancipation would not happen until 1829, a mere four years before slave emancipation in Britain. Catholics were still barred from the succession and any member of royalty choosing to marry a Catholic or even turn into that religion themselves had to give up their rights to the crown. Um, Some royals such as Charles II would turn on their faith on their deathbed and some Georgian princes would secretly marry Catholics, then denounce them when it suited them. It was not until 2012 that this law, male primogeniture, yay Princess Charlotte, were both amended, although it would take until 2015 for it to come into effect across the Commonwealth. I don't think you can still be a Catholic on the throne, actually. On the throne,
0: no, but they don't think that these people pose any threats. So if they marry these Catholics and they're six, seven it's leagues away from the throne, it won't hurt anyone because there's a there's almost no chance that they will come close to it.
1: Yeah. The blowback that Catholics received after the excommunication of Elizabeth was on the minds of the papacy as far into the future as the 1940s. Pope Pius XI had planned to denounce fascism in Italy and Germany, however he died. Then Pius XII had other ideas. He was advised that a semi-neutral stance was needed and that the papacy would refrain from action against but would provide aid for those who were suffering. Not a bad plan in the end because they would go on to denounce communism and excommunicate those who supported it. It led to Eastern European Catholics from being ousted from their homes and countries. The old idea that you cannot have allegiance to to Rome and the current regime.
0: Catholics lives
1: matter. European and English colonists in America during the 16th and 17th century would take over their anti-Catholic rhetoric. One historian has said that prejudice against Catholics was the deepest bias in history of the American people. It's debatable how true that statement is, but it goes to show how fiercely it was felt. Bishop Alma White in the 1920s wrote extensively in praise of the Ku Klux Klan. Now when you hear the KKK, you think racism and white supremacy. However, the writings also talk about the immediate threat to good Protestant American from Catholics and Jews, regardless of their race. A key factor in the election of JFK was his Catholic faith. Catholics would turn out in masses for him, although the anti-Catholic messaging would not stop after the election, forcing him to make this statement. I am not the Catholic candidate for president. I am the Democratic Party's candidate for president, who also happens to be a Catholic. I do not speak for my church on public matters, and the church does not speak for me. The next
0: bit is called supplementary dear Watson derivations. So the gunpowder treason gave us many popular connotations and gave birth to at least two cultural staples. So the first one is, of course, Macbeth, sorry, the Scottish play, the play that Shakespeare wrote as a response to the plot that technically didn't happen. (laughs) The plot happened, but the deed didn't. He wrote that as the shortest play of his canon, also because he knew that James I didn't like theatre, so he would actually be able to sit through it, which then James congratulated on Shakespeare. Thanks for (laughs) making it really short. Congratulated him, saying, thank you. (laughs) Short and sweet. In its day, it was actually called The Gunpowder Play as well, as a little nickname. And so people also say that writing this play, Shakespeare was hiding his own Catholic sympathies. When you sort of read about the connection between the plot and the play, the images that the author wants you to conjure up are those that were prevailing in the nation after, well, many American authors. So they mentioned things like Pearl Harbor. They mentioned things like the McCarthy witch hunts of the 1950s and events like 9-11. It was a tense time in the country and the game was afoot if you like. And it's curious to see how art begets art as well, because due to some of the political events that are happening in a country, it can actually create, it can actually inspire works of art, such as Gunpowder did to Macbeth. And when the McCarthy witch hunts were happening in 1950s America and everyone was calling each other communist and therefore people were using the modern term cancelled, it actually gave the world the play Crucible. So the witch hunts became actual. So the, the witch hunts for communists became the actual witch hunts in the play. I really love that connection.
1: I don't want to say thank God for communism, but uh, the Crucible is one of my favourite plays. And
0: of course, the other cultural staple that resulted from gunpowder plot or the powder treason is, of course, the personality and the myth surrounding Guy Fawkes himself, which gave us V for Vendetta, which is prevailing and it's only growing. Even the other week when I was in Covent Garden and there was a protest against... The meat industry, yeah. The meat industry, Yeah. yeah. Using meat as food and the peaceful demonstrators, they were wearing Guy Fawkes masks and holding the screens that were broadcasting footage from slaughterhouses. This this is how far it's gone. So v for Vendetta started as a series of comic books, and the main guy was chosen as Guy Fox. and Guy Fox
1: mask is now... I think it's like a symbol of anti-establishment.
0: Yes, of course, after the, the comic book v for Vendetta, you had the film, and it's now taken a life of its own. The mask and hmm. the identity, even though Guy Fawkes was a real person who was, you know, born in York, etc. Then he went to fight on the side of the Spanish, on the Catholic side against Protestants, etc, etc. So he had a real Biography and yes, he was anti-establishment and he lost. But somehow, throughout time, despite the fact that the effigy of him has been burnt on every bonfire through the last four hundred years, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and at some point it was called Guy Fawkes Day. I think it's only a recent thing that we call it bonfire bonfire night. He is associated with it and he is presented as the main sort of villain. But somehow, through the the mythology of the mask, through this the idea of this person, it became completely something else. So now it's almost turned the idea around. So if he started off as a villain of the piece, then now he basically a faceless man who speaks and represents the people, and represents yes, anti establishment.
1: Yeah, I think he's like he's transcended from what back then would have been seen as a terrorist, and now it's more like. A freedom fighter, because even now, I mean, when I was young, it would be Guy Fawkes on the bonfire. But then... Today we have Liz Truss. <laughs> we have we have Boris Johnson and we have mm-hmm. Margaret Thatcher in the 80s was thrown on a bonfire. and so I Tories. I, yes, let's have the Tories. Pretty yeah. too much. It will be interesting to see who they burn this year. They mm-hmm. <laughs> have so many to choose from. So I think people have, now have came to realise that maybe the government are not the good guys. So if Macbeth was an answer to the situation in the country mm-hmm. and the
0: specific political event, which again, that then led to a comparison of other works of art being created after polit- other political events, and then it gave us Guy Fox the persona, which then became something completely different. But then we also have the narrative of the plot and things that led to the plot and of the night itself that seeped into the popular culture. And there are many, many examples because uh, to list them all would take us probably all the way to Gunpowder Day and beyond (laughs) to the next Gunpowder Day. I mean, but here are my three favorite examples, which kind of show just how embedded the event is into sort of Britain and Britain's psyche. And these are my three favorite examples. So the first one, of course, is Bridget Jones's diary. It's bonfire night. It was a bonfire night and we are on fire. <laughs> and they actually have uh, Bridget and her team have to go to fire stations all over London, including Lewisham. <laughs> Excellent fire station. I don't think it bears any kind of significance in terms of anything sneakily happening or anything like that. But it's a very, very British thing to have happened. A very,
1: very British film.
0: Yes, in a very British film with a very British heroine. There course, the film that's made for American money, but we don't talk about that. Bonfire night and we are on fire. It's just, (laughs) I've seen that since I was 15. And I just, I just love all of that. I love that. Then we have, of course, Sherlock, Empty Hearse episode, which was, I think, the first episode of the third season. So when Sherlock comes back to life and into our lives and into our hearts and uh, John Watson is getting kidnapped and then he gets almost roasted alive as the guy, the effigy of the guy. And then Sherlock and Mary Morstan have to go and rescue him. But yeah, you cannot have a more kind of taking things from history and putting it in the script. And it gets even more intense as you realize that there was the underground plot, as in the actual London underground, and they were trying to, again, blow up the Houses of Parliament. And then... Sherlock and John, sorry, spoilers, have to go deep into the into the tube and save the day. Yeah, you watch that and it's almost as if they are some sort of 21st century Robert Cecil. Just goes and finds and... Much
1: cooler. Much, much cooler, cool.
0: yes. The, the coats help and the upturned collar, yeah. So the third example on the list is the episode of The Crown called Gunpowder, which is, was the... 8th episode of season 5 released last year. Again, you have parallels with an actual event and they actually did it very very cleverly. Peter Morgan designed the the story. The plotline of the episode involves the bonfire and the fireworks for Guy Fawkes-Knight. And it is these fireworks that Lady Diana is using in order to hide the fact that she is about to sort of plant a quote unquote bomb of her own, a recording the Martin Bashir interview and also around the same time in the montage, from what I remember, you have young Prince William learning about the original, the OG gunpowder plot. So, yeah, I think it's a, it's a very cleverly done episode, which kind of celebrates not just the gunpowder itself, not celebrates, but sort of mentions and commemorates commemorates the original event, but also brings in Diana into it and even the new generation. So it's very, very cleverly done. And actually, it's true because according to the biography of Diana, it was the interview was indeed recorded early Sunday 1995 in November, Mm -hmm. which was the fifth. Remember, remember. And of course, one cannot talk about gunpowder plot and its derivations on screen without talking about the kind of straight adaptations of the events onto the screen. And so far, we've had two. So you had one in 2004 with Richard Coyle playing Robert Catesby and Michael Fassbender playing Guy Fawkes. And it was called, very imaginatively, Gunpowder, Treason, and Plot. And this was the second episode of the miniseries. I absolutely love it, by the way, even though it's not exactly accurate. I mean, they, they make sense, but it's very kind of brusquely done, if you will. Mm. But it's just, I love it. Robert Carlyle is James the I., and he's so delicious and deliciously evil in some bits. Mm. And sometimes incredibly, you just sympathise with him. Not as a villain, but as a human and everything. Mm. And he's being just so deliciously Scottish. She's always good.
1: Yeah. It's same way, um, not getting by there, but uh, in the first episode, it's Mary Queen of Scots and she has a French accent, which is just amazing. Yeah, Because before that, you didn't really have that. So yeah, it's a two-parter, gunpowder, treason
0: plot. And mm. the first episode is on... The story of Mary Queen of Scots, and the second episode is on actual Gunpowder Plot. But for some reason, they entitled the whole thing "Gunpowder Treason Plot," and the first episode, which is I think the same length as the second, acts as almost as a prequel. But
1: yeah, yeah, but I think it's quite good because, like as we talked about earlier, like you need to know the background to understand the plot. Exactly.
0: Yeah, yeah. if you had more of Elizabeth, yeah, and her sort of priest whole yeah, hunts and things, it, it would, would be even better. better yeah. But we work with what we have. I love the *American of Scots kind of the first episode because it also, whom do we have playing Bothwell? Oh, that's right. Kevin McKidd. It, it's more Scottish ginger for me. It's always good.
1: That, but see, see, this is why it's like, you know, Thomas Culpeper, how I cannot see him as a bad guy, even though yes. he probably was a bad guy. Yeah. I cannot see Bothwell as a bad guy because of Kevin McKitt. Yes. I
0: mean. Also, Sean Biggerstaff, I think he played Bothwell in the... 2013 Mary Queen of Scots Mm. and an Iron Barnard by the way was Darnley so that skews a little bit of his screen persona for me but yeah short bigger stuff as Bothwell and you just cannot you have to really divorce what you've seen on screen from history in those moments to really kind of stick with history
1: oh no definitely because in the Gunpowder war (sighs) series Who is it plays Darnley? It's Paul Nichols. Yes. Who is a massive late 90s heartthrob. So I grew up in the 90s. He was a massive heartthrob. My generation were all obsessed with him, right? He was in all the TV shows and that. I think he played him so well. He plays him really sympathetically. You feel bad for him. It's probably the first time I'd ever feel bad for Darnley because I think he's a bit of a (laughs) shit, to be honest. You do, you feel bad for him. There's bits in it where he's like tearing up. Just give him another chance. (laughs) Actually, the
0: funniest thing about that 2004, sometimes it's labeled as 2005 adaptation of this event, Gunpowder Treason Plot, is how much the poster changed after Michael Fassbender became a big star. <laughs> because yeah. before he became a big star, on the poster, you had Robert Carlyle and you had Clemence Poesie, who played Mary Scott in the first episode, mm-hmm. and He was larger, she was a bit smaller and far in the background, but that Mm. was the only two people on the poster. And then after sort of 2010, 2011, Michael Fassbender suddenly just woke up famous. The poster was completely redone and he was literally front and center of the poster, even though he is not in the film as much Mm. as, say, Robert Catesby, who was also a much more important person when it comes to the ring leading.
1: Mm.
0: And everything, but Guy Fawkes because he's a famous name, but but also played by Michael Fassbender. That that that's just always was incredibly fascinating to me the way that they kind of retrospectively decided to promote the film because this person is now incredibly famous, much more famous than the other ones combined. Yeah, and the second one is called Gunpowder again, imaginatively enough, and this one came out in 2017. And this time, Robert Catesby is a lot more front and center. I mean, he was front and center in the 2004 as well, but you had mm-hmm. kind of his storyline and the King's storyline. Yeah. And then somewhere out there was Guy Fawkes. But in this one, it's kind of, he is the lead character, but also because he's played by Kit Harrington, who is indirectly or directly descended from the actual Robert Catesby. So much so that Kit Harrington's middle name is *Katesby* as we mentioned on the podcast earlier with Chris Wood a few weeks ago. In this one, it is a lot more about the faith and it's definitely told from the point of view of the Catholics. You don't really get a Protestant point of view as far as I remember. It's kind of, we are the good guys, they are the bad guys. And by the way, we lost kind of thing. I absolutely love the beginning, what they did was they showed exactly why he was feeling the way he was feeling in order to actually want to do this. So they took the real life torture and eventual execution of Margaret Clitheroe, the famous Catholic martyr in York, and they sort of adapted it for the story into The torture and execution of, I think he's uh, the main character's mother or relative or something. So she was given a different name, but the torture was exactly the same. When they were placing her on top of a rock, then they placed, what was it, a door on top Mm. of her or something. So basically just they crushed her with weights. Yeah. Mm. And that became sort of the motivation for the main character to take action against the regime. Last but not least. So the musical, there's a musical about this event called treason that is actually making its way back to london i've listened to it i think i listened to most of it it's a very good cast recording and i like all of the songs except the one sung by the king because they made him a little bit too king george III from hamilton that is incredibly historically inaccurate they made him into a cartoon yeah. also you know accent please but apart from that, great, great cast recording. And again, it's told from the perspective of the plotters of the Catholics. And there is also what's it called gunpowder immersion experience, which stars Tom Felton as Guy Fox. Although cool. in I know. <laughs> so he wanted to kill Dumbledore, he couldn't. Now he wants to kill the king. Sure. And that is, I think it's done in sort of collaboration with the Tower of London or something like that. But basically, yeah, it's been going on for more than a year now. If you go to the website gunpowderimmersive.com, you'll find more information. But yeah, so gunpowder is alive and well in London, as in the gunpowder plot, not the actual plot. Not the actual plot. Not the actual plot. Yeah. This time last year, we also had the exhibition about the history of treason in the UK at the Q archives. But... It's definitely over now. The next we have supplementary, Dear Watson, Curious Connections. or other words, I like to call it Curiouser and Curiouser. So, as I said, Kit Harrington is actually related to Robert Catesby on his mother's side. So, that's almost as delicious as Benedict Cumberbatch being indirectly related to Richard III and playing Richard III. Although, like we said before, it'd be nice to have him play the actual king, not the Shakespeare mm. cartoon villain. We have the Familial Connections and one of my other absolute favorite connections is this, that Diana's father was actually, he had a reputation for organizing great Guy Fawkes' firework displays. And connection to the Spencer family actually doesn't end there. During the royal progress, Ben Johnson's mask, the satyr, was performed at Althorpe, the Spencer family home. And the host was one Sir Rob- Robert Spencer, who was created Lord by James I. Curiouser and curiouser. Anna of Denmark, the Queen, so the wife of James, she became, as you said earlier, a Catholic. So she converted, but quietly. Her friend, a Catholic friend, she had one, was called Jane Dormer, who was the old playmate of Edward the Sixth. Because you don't really you, you kind of you you don't put James the the first and six together with Edward the Sixth, because you, you you don't you, you never do. Elizabeth and James, sure, Edward and Elizabeth, but you don't put those two together, really, do you?
1: No, because, I mean, that's quite funny because Edward was supposed to marry James's mum. Exactly. Mm. Yes, also that. Yeah. He became even curiouser, precisely, yes. Yeah.
0: yeah. So kind of James almost would have been in alternate universe Edward's son
1: mm-hmm. if
0: they all lived longer and happier, but not too long and not too happy, yeah. So this Jane Dormer, so the old playmate of Edward VI and the Catholic friend of Anna of Denmark. So she's also the ancestress of Natalie Dormer, who played Anne Boleyn in the Tudors. Blows my mind every time. Uh, Another fun fact, well, curiouser and curiouser fact, rather. So if everywhere in the country is burning effigies of Guy Fawkes on Guy Fawkes Night, because, you know, that's what you do, St. Peter's School in York that Guy Fawkes had attended, actually, and graduated from, they refused to do so. Yes, they're honoring their alumni. And now we have, who are you going to call? Mythbusters. So Guy Fox actually was not the, the gang leader. As I said before, it was actually Robert Catesby and should be remembered as thus. He was basically just responsible for the pyrotechnics because he had this experience in... He was an arms stealer. <laughs> ...in the wars before. And actually, because he had just got back to the country and he was a relative unknown, he could pass by undetected, whereas uh, the other of his gang could not do so because they had already been on sort of watched and on the lists and everything because he, they had been, as Gemma said earlier, involved in earlier plots. So yeah. as it's a, again, a little paradox that Guy Fox was unknown at the time of plotting, the most unknown out of them. And then after the <laughs> kadinka boom, <laughs> almost, he became the most famous one of all put together. Yeah. And actually, uh, in terms of Guy Fox as well, he was born a Protestant. Mm. So he actually sort of, quote unquote, picked up the Catholicism and converted to it after his mother married a Catholic. Miracles never cease. So the sisters Gemma mentioned earlier, so they are, the last name is spelled V-A-U-X. So in a lot of screen adaptations, it's pronounced as Vo. So Anne Vo, which was also played by Liv Tyler in the 2017 TV series. The lady who did quite a lot for the movement. But it's actually pronounced Vox. But usually they choose the Vo pronunciation not to confuse it or rhyme with Fox, basically. According to the myth, Guy Fox was hanged on and quartered. And as some where most stories stop. But actually he didn't. He was... Hanged because he hanged himself. He didn't want to suffer the the death of the traitor, so he just jumped to his death with the noose intact. And it didn't happen at the tower, unlike most people think. Guy Fawkes actually died in Old Palace Yards. He died within the precinct, sort of within the view of the building he wanted to blow up. So, House of Parliament, just adjacent to his place of execution. And they made the traitors who were about to be executed, they made them face this building so that they would remember what they're dying for, which is, yeah, quite poetic in a way. There was a point on my tour, I remember, that obviously it's a myth, that the executioner who didn't get to draw and quarter him, he was so upset that he didn't get to do it that he cut off his uh, Guy Fawkes' testicles after after the death and tied them to a bell of a church, so that every time the bell would ring, he would be in pain. And there was a rumor that they could hear him screaming when the bell was being rung. And there was another additional urban myth going that the bell in question was Big Ben. But of course, those things happen in very different centuries. And Big Ben was nowhere near, not even conceived, just thought of at the time when Guy Fox was dying.
1: <laughs> he was swimming in their testicles. <laughs> Yes, of the great 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 grandfathers
0: yes. <laughs> nowhere near, nowhere near, no, so yeah, that is <laughs> so that's I'm sorry, I have to say this that story was bollocks, <laughs> okay, poor guy. <laughs> yes, that brings us to the end of his the episode life. of his life and our life, definitely, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. thank you for joining us on the gunpowder. Special, the powder treason, sorry, as they would call it back in their day.
1: Gemma, do you have anything to add? No, I think you said it all with both.
0: No, it's just we can make I don't know ten episodes about gunpowder, and I hope we we get to do it in time. Years <laughs> so yes, exactly. So there is just so much to cover. There are so many angles to look at it from, and we just wanted to do almost uh, not a mini episode, but kind of talk about the the bigger subjects, and then next year we may look at it from a different angle. From a different angle, yeah, because uh, this subject is so huge. And I didn't want to look at it just from the point of view of 1605, because that's neither when it started, neither when it's finished. It's just, it's almost in the middle. And then you have so much that happened before, so much that happened after. Kind of like the way you and I look at Titanic, Mm -hmm. because the sailing and the sinking were just part of a much larger story. But yeah, there's just so many things to say. And gunpowder is definitely a very, very large topic. And I love the fact that you just say gunpowder today in 2023 and you immediately, your mind immediately goes to Guy Fawkes and that plot. Whereas in the olden days, you say gunpowder and that just means gunpowder that they used to shoot (laughs) 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 saltpeter, you know, to make gunpowder. Yeah. And bonfires were not a special thing. Bonfires were lit for all sorts of occasions before this event and after this event. It's another curious thing that those words became firmly associated, are associated today with this one event yeah. that didn't even happen. That's, that's, the, <laughs> that is the, not, again, that's the paradox of it. Another paradox mm. in the story that, there's a
1: well-known event that didn't
0: happen. <laughs> that's a well-known event that didn't happen, and there's a whole book about it that you and I both read. That by what was Antonio Fraser. Yep, yeah. yeah. Antonio Fraser. Did it happen or almost did it happen? Mm. Was it almost allowed to happen with the blessing of Robert Cecil? Did he allow it to develop as far as as he did because he wanted to have the repercussions? To, to to suit his own goals and things like that. Mm. So it's, yeah, again, there's so many ways to, to look at it and talk about it. So this was mm. our way today.
1: Quite relevant still today because you have, it is a story of oppression at the end of the day. It is what happens when you oppress people, the lengths they go to to fight for their freedom. It's like a good lesson that we never seem to learn like just don't treat people like shit or they do shitty things do you think it's not a hard lesson to learn but here we are i think that's um
0: it's a great way to end things thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of if it ain't baroque podcast please like subscribe and share with your friends Gemma and myself you can find us on social media the handle is at if it ain't baroque podcast on instagram and we have an account on the x of the twitter where we are at baroque podcast Cast. and if you'd like to read our blog and find out more please visit the website if it ain't baroque.art. If you'd like to join me on one of my walking tours, and I have three at the moment, one about the medieval and Tudor monarchs, one about the Georgian and Windsor monarchs, and one about naughty London in Southwark, please join me. The website is reignoflondon.com, and there will be links in the description of this episode. Thank you so much, and see you next time!